One of the great doctrines of the Christian faith is the doctrine of heaven, the place of reward. The fact that um, Jesus has gone to prepare a home for us, and that place, that home, is the place where we will be rewarded. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will doubtless come again and receive you to myself. And whereas we do not have a lot of uh, clarity and uh, we don't know exactly, we don't know a whole lot about what heaven's like, we do know that um, it is a place that is being prepared by our Lord. We know that much. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of fuzzy ideas concerning what heaven is like going around. If you don't believe that, you just stop, you just ask some people what they think heaven's like. Ask 10 people what they think heaven's like, and you'll probably get 10 ideas, and some of them might be a little strange to you, not to them, but to, to you. A national periodical um, interviewed some six and seven-year-old children, and they asked them that very question, what do you think heaven's like? And, this, and these are the answers. Seven-year-old David Weir said, Heaven is a big place where people sit around playing a harp. He said, I don't know how to play a harp, but he said, I imagine I'll start learning how to play one of them dumb things pretty soon. <laughs> Six-year-old Susan Emmons said, Heaven is a place that ain't like down here because God don't have no schools up there, and I sure will be glad. I imagine Susan feels just about like I do. Little Eric, age seven, said, Heaven's where all that money is laying around. I guess he'd heard about those streets of gold. He said, Heaven's where all that money's laying around, and you can just pick it up and play with it. He said, You can buy things with it. He said, I'm going to buy a basketball, and I'm going to play basketball with my great great grandmother. <laughs> Little Larry, age seven, said, Heaven's way up there somewhere. He said, You can look down and watch a circus without having to pay for it. <laughs> That'll be good. Daniel Battle, age seven, said, Heaven is a place of blue skies and fluffy white clouds. It's a fun place. He said, You can play on these fun, on these fuzzy white clouds, but don't get over too close to the edge because you'll fall off. My favorite's Tommy, age seven. He said, I know what heaven's like, but I don't want to go there right now. I want to go to North Carolina. <laughs> He's probably never been to North Carolina. Whatever we say about heaven is we must say this about it. It's a place of reward. And so I've come tonight to the final, of, final message in the series on servanthood talk about something we are all interested in hearing about, about the rewards of serving God. What a place it must be, and what a promise is the promise from God that whatever's done in, for the glory of God, in the power of God, will be eternally rewarded. And whatever the Bible says, it says this, that the most insignificant thing done by the most obscure person in the most obscure place 
will be rewarded by God forever. What a promise. Now with your New Testament in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, we're going to talk about rewards. The reward of serving God. The rewards of servanthood. Beginning in verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. The Apostle Paul is talking about the beginning of the church in Corinth. He came to that wicked city, probably one of the most wicked cities in the known world. And right there he planted the, the, the church. He laid the foundation of the church, and that's what he's talking about. And he says, I laid this foundation of the church in Corinth, and other people are building on it. Now look at verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's talking about the laying of the foundation of Christianity. Jesus laid that foundation. No one else can do that. That foundation's already been laid, the foundation of Christianity, in the person and work of Jesus himself. And then he says in verse 12, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is revealed to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. After salvation comes, then we begin to serve God out of the sheer joy of serving Him. There's some general facts about, about rewards that I want us to, to uh, nail down right now, A, B, and C in your outline. Number one, most of our rewards will come in heaven and not on earth. Ours is an award, reward-oriented society. There is the Nobel Prize for Peace. There is the Academy Awards given by the Arts and Sciences for the movie industry and the Emmy Awards. They're given away tomorrow night, as a matter of fact, for the television industry. And the Grammy Awards. Isn't that the awards that come from the country music, uh, in country music? Grammy? Pardon? All music. Well, there's not any other music but country music, is there? All music. There are. Um, there is the Heisman Trophy, that uh, that award that's given to the greatest football player in American college football. And there's the All-American Team. There's the All-Pro Team. There are all kinds of rewards and awards. This is an award-oriented society. And the question comes: When will we receive our rewards? The answer is: It's coming some other time. Most of the rewards that you will receive for serving God will be in heaven, not on earth. Number two, all rewards, all rewards are based on quality rather than quantity. It is assumed that the person who has the greatest responsibility over the, the, the masses of people will receive the greater rewards, not necessarily true. Judson spent seven years in Burma before he ever saw a convert come to Christ. Some people who 
just have a responsibility over their family and there's where they minister, there's where they serve, just over that little few folk that live in the four, within the four walls of their home. It's the quality of servanthood and not the quantity. Third, no reward that is postponed will ever be forgotten. Now I'm sure that there have been times in your life where you've uh, really intended to express gratitude and appreciation to somebody, to reward them for what they did, but you just let it get by, slip by. You meant to, but you never did. You forgot it. Anything that's done for God, it may be postponed, that reward, but it will never be forgotten. It will be rewarded. You will receive a reward. And the reason I can say this is, in, is because I can say these three words, God is faithful. And so with your New Testament, let's look to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. The first eight verses of Hebrews 6 deal with a, with a very thorny problem, with a difficult problem. They deal with the fact that some people who bear the marks of Christianity, the marks of the cross in their life, have kicked the traces. They've become unfaithful. They've uh, turned their back on their faith, their commitment, and they've gone away. They've left, they've split, they've cut out. Verse 9 of this sixth chapter, the author of Hebrews is saying, but we expect much better than this from you. We expect you to remain faithful in your commitment in service. And then look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. Notice, not only the action is going to be rewarded, not only the work will be rewarded, but the motive that is behind it will be rewarded. He said, not, he will not forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in, and in still ministering to the saints. God is faithful. Now, perhaps sometime you've just kind of... Um, closed your eyes to try to imagine what God is like. You know, sometimes when I'm really trying to pray and worship Him for who He is, I've really tried to imagine, to try to recall what I've read, what I know of Him, just to, under, just to praise Him like He ought to be praised. And one of the things that comes every time to mind is the faithfulness of God I suppose that's because I am often so unfaithful. Well, what does it mean to say that God is faithful? He is not unjust. God is faithful. And we sang about it this morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God, our Father. What does that mean, God is faithful? It means two things. One, at least two things. It means that he is steadfast in his affection and allegiance to his people. He's not fickle. Do you know people like that? You know, who, uh, you know who, uh, who are with you one day, who are your friends one day, and the next day they're not. They operate on the basis of their moods. God is not like that. 
He is not fickle. He is faithful. That means that he is steadfast in his affection and his allegiance to his people. And so Isaiah spoke as God spoke through him. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, he, yes she can. For he said, even these may forget, but I will not you for I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. God has branded us there so that every time he looks, he sees our name, he, he never forgets us. And he never forgets the promise that he's made to us. He never forgets us. He is steadfast in his allegiance and in his affection. Secondly, it means that he's firm in his adherence to promise. He is firm in his adherence to his promise. He is he's going to carry out every promise. He's going to follow through on every promise he's made. Now, you have your, new, your Bible there. Would you turn to Psalm 56? Let me read something to your hearing. Psalm 56. He's firm in his adherence to promise. He keeps his promise. Psalm 56 reads, Be gracious, O God, for man is trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled on me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long they distort my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil, they attack, they lurch, they watch my steps as they've waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the, pe the peoples, O God. Thou hast taken account of my wanderings, where I've been going, where I've been traveling. Look at this. Put my tears in thy bottle. I have this dear friend. They are probably our best friend. She... She just has a, uh, she has a short uh, tear fuse. I don't know how to put it any other way. I mean, she cries just, you know, and she gets in a worship service or something, and she just cloud up and cry. And she weeps over her friends and over people who are having problems. She just has a, the tenderest heart. I've thought about this verse and about her many times. God has every tear in a bottle. I don't suppose there any, there's anywhere else in the Bible says this. One day God's just going to open up the cabinet and there's gonna, there are going to be the bottles with her tears in them. He's going to reward every one of them. And look at what he says. Put my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Not only does he put her, her tears in his bottle, but he writes down in his book somewhere every one she's ever cried, and he's going to reward her for it. And if you want to read on, he talks about how that God is a person you can trust. 
He's one you can trust. You can place your confidence in Him, and He's going to come through on every promise. That's what it means to talk about the faithfulness of God. But what about our rewards? If we're going to be rewarded for our service, what about them? I want you to look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That word manifested there means to be put on display. It means to embody. It means to be put in a, in a showcase somewhere so that everybody can see. What he's saying is that the life of Jesus might just be you know, put on display in my life. That the life of Jesus might just be showcased in me. Now, what are the rewards that come to serving to, 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 to one who serves God? Not monetary reward for sure. Let me suggest from this verse, from these verses, number one, the quiet awareness, the quiet awareness that the life of Jesus is being modeled, that's a reward in itself. Just to know that Jesus Christ is being seen in me is a reward itself. That may be the only reward I'll ever get in this life, just the quiet awareness that God is being modeled in my life. And here's a, here's a mother who, um, who, who spends every day of her life scrubbing, you know, and cleaning. I mean, I got out one day, you know, to scrub the patio, to get ready for this party. My wife does that, you know, every day. And, um, you know, cleaning, washing dishes and cooking meals and cleaning house, you know, and changing diapers of babies, you know, these parents, these mothers. And nobody ever knows that. Never, no, nobody knows it outside that little family. And they usually take it for granted. And, and I, you know, and I talk to, to, to uh, mothers who, you know, want or, or uh, house or, or women, wives that, uh, that look forward to, you know, a career just to be noticed. It's important, you know. And so they're never seen outside that house and the people inside the house take them for granted. And the only reward they have is that they're just modeling Jesus every day they live. And as they minister to their family and as they cook those meals and wash those clothes and clean that house and do those things day after day that is never noticed, that's taken for granted, the quiet assurance that they're modeling the life of Jesus because he said, when you do this to the least, you've done it unto me. 
And James Dobson, whose films we saw, you know, that uh, back a couple of years ago, tells about that little that that black woman looked just like Aunt Jemima. Came every day to Children's Hospital to visit her five-year-old child who was dying of painful lung cancer. Every day she came, sat with him and talked to him. Just the sweetest black woman. And one morning before she arrived at Children's Hospital, the little boy began to say, I hear them bells, I hear them bells, I hear them bells. They're ringing, I hear them bells. And he said that several times. About an hour later, his mother came, and she came down the hall. She spoke to the nurses. How is he doing? They said, oh, well, he's hallucinating. He's been talking about hearing them bells. He's probably a reaction to drugs. He said, oh, no, he's not hallucinating. He's not under the influence of drugs. I've been telling him when the pain gets so severe and he gets near death, just listen for the bells to ring. God's going to ring the bells for him. And she went in, took him in her arms, and sat down and rocked him until those bells became this, just the dead echoes of what had been. And as she held him in her arms till he died, she just modeled the life of Jesus' love. And that's a reward in itself. Folk, nobody, perhaps, will ever applaud you for what you do. But just to know that Jesus Christ is being manifested in your life is enough. Secondly, look at verse 15 of chapter 4, same book. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. The second reward that I have in this life and you have in service is the joyful realization that a thankful spirit is being stimulated in another person. The joyful realization that somebody is giving thanks to God because of your ministry and servanthood. That's your reward. But what about the eternal rewards? Let's look at those and then we're through. Chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10 says, reads... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, may be rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Well, there are crowns. Did you used to sing this um, song when you were a kid? Will there be any stars in my crown at evening when sun goeth down? When I wake with the blessed in the mansion of rest, will there be, will there be any stars in my crown? There's an old joke that said the Methodists used to sing that, you know. Will there be any stars in my crown? And the Methodist church and the Baptist church were kind of side by side. And one Sunday night the Methodists were singing, Will there be any stars in my crown? And the Baptists were singing, No, not one. I don't know whether that's uh, true or not. But 
I don't know whether there'll be any stars in our crowns or not. That's, that's not important, but I know there'll be crowns. The Bible talks about crowns of righteousness and crowns imperishable and crown of joy and crown of life and crown of glory and all are made possible by that crown of thorns. We'll receive crowns. And if you want to see something exciting, just turn to the Revelation. Let's look at Revelation 4. We're going to see what we'll do with those crowns in that time. Revelation 4. And begin it reading with me at verse 7 of Revelation 4. Look at verse 6, by the way. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, the, the wild animal kingdom. And the second creature like a calf, the domestic animal kingdom. And the third creature had a face, a human being, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, the bird kingdom, all of the created order, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings or full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, thrice holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who, has, who was and is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, to Him who lives forever and ever, and the 24 elders will fall down before Him who sits on the throne and will worship Him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art Thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou didst create all things, and because of Thy will they exist and were created. And we'll take our crowns, their eternal reward, and we'll just cast them at the feet of the Lord. What a day that's going to be. What a time. What about this eternal reward? It'll just be the reward of having our Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now there are three things that I want to say in conclusion of, these, of this series on servanthood. Will you write these down and then we're through. Number one, every act of servanthood God takes notice of. Every act of servanthood God takes notice of. I don't, I don't. I want you to say it over and over in your mind, because you know that's a that's a dynamite statement. Whatever you do in servanthood, God notices it. God notices it. Number two. The rarest gem. G E M. The rarest gem on earth today is a servant heart. The rarest gem on earth today is a servant heart. Servants are beautiful people. Finally, in the final analysis, whether it is in this life or in the one to come, all the glory belongs to God.
All the glory belongs to God. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father, we thank you for having taught us from your word in these weeks what it means to be a servant. Thank you for having shown us the life of a servant in the person of your Son. And Lord, to know that now as he sits at your right hand, having finished his earthly work, that you have crowned him and that you've given him a name which is above every name. I thank you that you crown and reward faithful service. And Lord, sometime in each of us there are, there are those feelings that what we do is just unnoticed and no one really cares. Help us to know that you see everything we do and put it in a book and reward us. Help us to be content with the quiet assurance that Jesus is being manifested in our life when we serve and that's its own reward. Give us the realization that others are being turned to God because of servanthood for our service. Help that to be enough reward in this life. And we thank you that you're such a gracious God that you've prepared a place where we can be rewarded for all eternity. And we look forward to that joy when we can take our rewards, our crowns, and cast them at your feet and give glory to Jesus who is worthy of our honor and praise. And now I pray, God, that you'll call us out to a ministry that's deep, committed servanthood. For Jesus' sake.